Good morning. How are we doing? We alive? That's good. Um, great to see you. A little better than last Sunday, right? Although I think you're going to have to uh, put on an extra layer or two this week, right? Talking like 40-year lows. I'm hearing like negative 40 on Wednesday or Thursday, something like that. And um, I could almost say I wouldn't have ever had an experience to, uh, had a chance to experience that, but 40-year lows, I'm right there. So maybe at some point in my life I could have seen that. But uh, yeah, um, one thing I wanted to share, they, they uh, tell me I need to share. I, sometimes I look past this stuff and I just am kind of in my own lane. And, and, um, but uh, something that was cool this week that happened with the church is... Uh, Parks and Rec in town every year recognize an organization that uh, they give a service award to. And so we were selected for 2018. So we were the Parks and Rec Service Award recipient in the, the community um, based off of uh, our 5K. Um, and so it was pretty cool. Uh, Friday night at the basketball game, they uh, presented this uh, to me, to our church. And uh, I just wanted to let you know about it. And I'll put it out in the uh, foyer. You can look at it. Just uh, Parks and Rec Service Award presented to Napoleon Church of the Nazarene to honor and recognize your outstanding service, longtime support of Parks and Rec in Napoleon. And so it's a great opportunity also. The place was full. The, the girls had a game, the varsity girls at 6, varsity guys at 7.30. The place was packed, so it was a great um, advertisement, right, that we do a 5K, and hopefully people remember that when uh, we start to roll around in the spring. But just super proud of our church. And uh, the commitment, the involvement, especially from the 5K committee, uh, those committee members that have given time and energy and effort and uh, have believed in this, and we've seen it just become something. We've given basically $10,000 to Parks and Rec over the last two years. That is pretty cool. And um, anything from uh, soccer goals to park benches to... Uh, equipment in the uh, softball and baseball uh, areas. If you ever coached a team in town, you know how equipment is like at a premium, right? And it always wears out fast. And just a tangible way that we're able to say, hey, we're here, we love our community, and we're actually motivated by something that's even beyond that, the love of Jesus, just to be a, uh, a vibrant, life-giving part of our community. And So thank you for that. Very proud of, of what we've been able to do. The other thing I wanted to mention, I'll just take a moment here, and really just a moment is really inadequate. And what I'm about to say is probably some of the most powerful things I could say uh, to speak into your lives in this culture. Um, but it's something that's near to me, something I think the church should be aware of, should be a voice for, and should be willing to stand up and uh, be heard. And um, January is a, a month now that we celebrate um, through organizations like Right to Life and different organizations, just this, this whole idea of life and bring awareness in our culture to um, life and specifically to the issue of abortion. Um, have you followed the news last week or so? One of the states in our, in our country 
has passed legislation. Not only did they pass it, they celebrated it. They even lighted up the World Trade Center with it. That now it is legal for a woman in this state to um, pursue a uh, late-term abortion. Basically be able to have an abortion even on the day that she would deliver. And as a Christian community, and as a part of the bigger church at large, we value life. We believe that life is sacred, that it's given by God. We value things that pertain to life. Beginning of life, end of life, quality of life. The church from the early church on has always been involved in appreciating, in valuing, and being a, a, a part of helping life and the quality of life. And um, I just thought it would be appropriate for us in this month. This is short, and yet it's one of the most powerful things. I'm very involved in this. I have been for years. Um, we all have different passions, right? We all have things we gravitate toward, that we feel deeply about, and we get involved in certain ways. And for me, for years now, I have been very involved in, um, in this matter of, of, of being trying to be a voice and a light and salt in our community in this matter of, of life, specifically to abortion. And um, I, I believe that God is grieved and brokenhearted by the fact that our country has allowed at least 60 million abortions. And God who says in his word that in your mother's womb, he knit you together. He crafted you. He formed you. And life in his eyes, or the truth is, begins at conception. And how we have devalued that to a point where we take it. And I just would ask you to take a moment with me. and Can we just pray for our country? And pray for this issue? And allow your heart to once again be reminded? Because it's been going on for so long. We just kind of think it's now part and parcel of what our culture is about, right? And yet we are called as Christians to stand for life. To even give a voice to life. To not be silent. And obviously to pray for our country in this matter. I pray like Daniel prayed. Daniel who was exemplary, right? A man that God, that was a follower of God. When he prayed for his, for his fellow country. He didn't pray, Lord forgive them. He said, Lord forgive us. He took it on himself. I'm a part of these people. And I call out and confess, Lord, forgive us. Help us. And would you do that with me this morning? Let's just pause, Lord. In these moments, Lord, as we recognize and understand our world, the fallenness of our world, and specifically the distortion, the dysfunctionality when it comes to life and the sacredness of life in our world. Lord, would you cause us to be a vibrant voice and a life-giving influence in our cultures, in our community, 
People who value life, who see it as sacred and as a gift from God, and are willing to pray and to act and not be silent in this matter, but to always affirm that God is the giver of life. It's a precious and sacred gift from Him, and we honor it. And so, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us as a country, as a land, for our passiveness with this, for our aggression in this, Lord, for our actions toward the sacredness of life and the taking of millions and millions and millions of babies now. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us. Would you heal us? Would you cause our leaders and our people to see life as it truly is sacred? And Lord, would you help us to turn from these actions to you? Lord, we know that your judgment has always come against these kinds of actions. And Lord, we pray, forgive us and heal us and cause us to turn, Lord, so that your judgment might be avoided in the future, I pray. And Lord, as a people here, as a little piece of the body of Christ, may we be a vibrant and strong voice in this community, in Henry County, in Williams County, in Defiance County, in in Fulton County, Lord. And this area, Lord, may we just be a strong, vibrant, heard voice that stands for life and the sacredness of it. Make it so, I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so that was my little infomercial. Moving on into uh, what we're studying, you know. So our picture, the picture of God in our culture is, has always been misrepresented. It's always been distorted. It's what the fallen world does, right? And so God gives his word to help us recapture or to capture for the first time Who is God? Who is God? There's so many ideas out there. There's so many philosophies out there. There's so many, even in uh, Christian circles, there's different understandings who God is. And the series we're going through, we're calling it the real God just because simply we are going back to the scriptures and we're taking these seven attributes, these characteristics, these core nature of God things And we're once again asking God to open our hearts and minds to this is who God is. I want to see, just like, you know, I have contacts. Take my contacts out. Things get blurry. Things get distorted. I cannot find my way. I cannot recognize you very well. My relationships suffer because of my eyesight. My ability to navigate through this world suffers because of my eyesight. I need 20-20. I need help, right? I need 2020 vision to get me where I need to go, to do what I need to do, to live how I need to do, to live. And that is exactly what the Word of God is given to us, is to give us 2020 vision of who God is, to see Him in the real way. Because this is what happens. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I guarantee you, if you think about your life, you will realize that what you have thought, what you have believed, has always preceded your behavior. Your behaviors follow what you believe in your heart. 
and you go after it. If you believe this will make you happy, oh, absolutely your behaviors have followed that. If you believe this is what life is about, absolutely your behavior follows that. And what Tozer is saying and is reminding us, what comes into our minds when we think about God, it's the most important thing about us. In fact, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move our, toward our mental image of God. If our God is angry and is demanding, then we live with guilt and condemnation and we're always trying to appease him. If our God's like our grandma, then we just give no, you know, it's all God just give me, give me, give me, you know, like that. Or if our God, it, all of our different pictures of God, it's what we turn toward. And so this series is just a way for us to think about what does the Bible say about who God is and we noticed last week that the foundational thing about God that is in his word it's the thing he wanted Moses to see when Moses who had this relationship with God that was close enough that he was like you know what God I'm in a relationship with you you've shown me incredible things we've spent this time together I've been able to experience crazy stuff because of you and see your power and your glory and he says God I, I just want to see you like I talk to you we have this kind but I don't see you and God said you can't handle that but I will pass before you the the back of me and you'll see a little bit of me and what does he say that he wants to show Moses what is the first thing the core thing about God that he wants humanity to know and that's his goodness foundationally at the core of who God is is he is good he's good but second this week I want to talk about something that anybody that knows me could know that I could talk about this for two hours three hours four hours and if you know me personally, I love talking about this. To me, uh, this is something that is so uh, foundational to understanding God. And it's in this word sovereignty, this big word sovereignty. Um, I, I guess I would start by just reminding you of the story in, in Daniel. Daniel is in Babylon. He's been captured. And the king of Babylon, which was really the king of the world, is Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? You can go to... Nebuchadnezzar, it's one of the most recognizable kings of the world ever. And Daniel was in that country captive, and yet he was favored. And the king would ask his advice, because he was, it was just obvious. This was a guy who had it, had it together. And Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and basically, for time's sake, he has this dream where there's this huge tree that reaches up into the sky. I mean, it's, a, it's got beautiful leaves, and it's life-giving, and animals use it for shade, and birds use it for shelter, and it's this huge tree that reaches clear up into the heavens. And Nebuchadnezzar says that in his dream, he sees this tree, and then yet, in his dream, there's a command to chop it down. And it falls, and it says that the dew of the, 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 dew of the earth saturates it, and it, it, uh, it, 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 it dies, basically. There's just a stump there. And Nebuchadnezzar's troubled by this dream, and so he calls Daniel, and he says, Daniel, here's my dream. What does it mean? And Daniel basically says, Nebuchadnezzar, you are that tree. Right now, you, you are that tree. And yet, because of your attitude about who you are and what you've accomplished, God is going to, if you do not repent of your arrogance, of your pride, of your self-sufficiency, he's going to cut that tree down. And he's actually going to make you live like an animal. I read it in the first service. Read Daniel chapter 4. And kid you not, kid you not, a year later, 
the scriptures tell us that Nebuchadnezzar is out on his palace porch and he's looking at over his kingdoms as far as he could see. And he's thinking, he uses words like, man, look at my mighty power. And look at all of this that, that shows my glory. True story actually happened, historical event. In that moment, God says, I warned you, Nebuchadnezzar, this is not you. And he causes Nebuchadnezzar to run into the wild. True story, king of the world, basically, runs into the wild and lives like an animal for a period of time. You guys remember this story from being young? No, some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Daniel chapter 4, you can read it. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the world, lived like an animal. It says he ate grass and his hair grew like an eagle's and his, his nails grew like a bird's, like a falcon, you know, like it's this awful looking character. He lived eating the grass. He went out of his mind, so to speak. God put him out of his mind until finally Nebuchadnezzar, over that period of time, looked to the heavens and basically had this word to say, God, you're right. This isn't about me, it's you. And it was that context that I would like to approach this word sovereignty. This word sovereignty, it's a big word, it can be confusing, but yet to me, it is simply in this phrase, God is in control. It speaks to his power, his sufficiency. It's things like this that the scripture begins to share us about God. Acknowledge and take to heart this day, that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below, there is no other. God begins to tell us something about him that we begin to grab a hold of. There's no one like this. There are no God among gods with God. There is no, he is, no, there is no other God besides this God. He is the only God. He begins to say things like, he, God is before all things and in him all things hold together. There is no God that's like him and in fact, he is the one that holds this whole world together. It consists because of him and he holds it and sustains it. He begins to say things like, I know, Job says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. There is nothing that can stop who you are. There's a handout that you can have that uh, there's going to be a lot of scripture that you can look up um, later. But basically, this is what God begins to reveal about himself. He says things like, I am before all things. I created all things. I uphold all things. I am above all things. I know all things. I can do all things. I accomplish all things. I rule over all things. I am in control of all things. The picture that God begins to show us in his word is that he is absolutely sovereign. Sovereign is this kind of word that means ultimate authority, without equal, without limitation in any way. And this is who God reveals himself to us as. A God who is in control of everything. He shows us in these ways in his scripture. He reveals his sovereignty through titles. He, he is referred to as sovereign Lord, most high God, alpha and omega, beginning and end, king of kings, lord of lords, right? Right? So if you're reading about who is God, what do I need to know about him? Because what I know about him affects the way I think and the, how I think is in how I will live. The thing I need to know is God presents himself as this God above all as all-powerful. 
We see his sovereignty when he talks about through his promises. Like he makes promises that only someone who's in control of this world could make. I could make you promises, right? And I could not carry through on them. Because I do not have the ability, nor the authority, nor the resources to carry through on my promises, correct? God makes outlandish promises. The the only way he could make these promises and fulfill them is if he is truly sovereign and in control over this earth. I mean, you, you just read, and you're reading about this God, and you see him making promises, and you're thinking, wow, this guy can really do a lot of stuff. I don't know if I should say this guy. This God can do a lot of stuff. In fact, if he can do all that stuff, then he must be in control of all this world. Look at the prophecy. If you just, one out of every three verses in the scriptures is prophecy. One out of every three. God is saying, this is what's going to happen. And you know what? 100% of the time, without air, it happens. And you can't help but begin to look at all of Scripture and say, he says a lot of things are going to happen, and every time it happens, you got to begin to begin to believe that, wow, he knows what's going on. He's in control of this. I can't help but see that he is sovereign, all-powerful, above all of this. And obviously in Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the most beautiful, most revealing picture of how God is sovereign. He enters into our world through a virgin birth, lives a life that is crazy, um, uh, effective, and life-changing, and just, wow, this is God, and like Jesus' life, and his teaching, and in his teaching, Jesus is saying things like, I'm the Lord of Lords, I'm the King of Kings, I'm it, I'm in control of all of this. And they're like, well, prove it. And he says, well, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise from the dead. And then he dies and rises from the dead to say, listen, everything I said was true. I really am the sovereign Lord. I mean, his sovereignty is everywhere in Scripture. God is in control. And then we see words about how God is going to restore this creation He's going to take this broken, fallen world and he's going to restore it completely so there's a new heaven and a new earth, an everlasting kingdom. Well, who could pull that off? Only someone who is sovereign. Correct? Are you okay? I think I'm just like, whoop. Everybody's like, dude. I'm just trying to create a baseline here. God presents himself in Scripture as sovereign, above all, over all, in control of all. So, if that's true, and it is, and if you're like me, and you're probably not, the only thing I can think of when I think of who God is, how he presents himself, what he's done, and the condition of this world, I I have to apologize for this, but the only thing I can think of is that old Vince Lombardi video clip. And Lombardi is a legendary football coach, right, of the Packers, who, I mean, was unbelievably successful. I mean, championship after championship, then they start the Super Bowl, he wins the first two. It's Vince Lombardi, right? I don't know if I should share this. I did first service, but you'll forgive me. But there's this video clip of Vince Lombardi who is used to success, right? His team's just won. 
And it's a clip they caught of one game where he's looking around and something has happened that didn't go the Packers' way. And like it's like it's going all backwards. It's not what he's used to. It's not what he expected. It's not... And he uses an expletive, as Vince Lombardi would. I'm not going to use that expletive today. I'll let you fill that in. But he's looking around and he goes, what in the world is going on around here? Okay? You fill in the blank for world. That's what he's saying. It's like he's looking around and saying, what is going on? This doesn't make any sense. And that's what I think. If I think about a sovereign God and a fallen world, one who's in control and the mess that this world is, I want to say, what's going on around here, right? You do too. Because it's the classic questions that all of us have ever had all through history. It's questions like this. If God is sovereign, why does he allow evil, pain, and suffering? If he's in control, why is there evil, pain, and suffering? It's a question too. If God is sovereign, doesn't that make human responsibility a sham? If you're saying he's over all things, in control of all things, then what am I doing? Am I just like, like a robot? Do I have any human responsibility? What is going on around here? And the question is, it's so often is, if God is really omnipotent, all-powerful, then shouldn't he be able to arrange the world with his power so that there isn't evil, pain, and suffering? If he's omniscient, he would definitely know how to do that. And if he's all-loving and good, he would want to do that, right? What am I supposed to know and understand about the sovereignty of God and the world I live in? Amen? I know you've asked this question. You've thought this question. And here's where I could get super nuanced with you. And I could spend a lot of time and I could enjoy it and you wouldn't. And you would get super hungry. Which I already am. Here's what I would say. And I'm going to make some statements. I'm not going to try to go down all the roads, the avenues. I'm not going to try to answer every question today. You're welcome. I'd love to chat. The reason why a sovereign God has a fallen, broken world is because he created us in his image. You see, he allowed for human freedom because there is no relationship outside of people being free to choose. Human freedom means that we have the willful opportunity to say yes to God and to love God. We also have the willful opportunity to say no and do what is wrong. God thought it was so important. The best plan that he could have ever come up with is this plan. To maintain our dignity as people created in his image who have the right to make a choice because without choice there is no potential for a loving relationship and in doing that and in giving us the opportunity to freely love or reject him knowing that there was a possibility that our freedom would result in pain and suffering and evil And it was still worth it. 
Because the thing most precious to him is a loving relationship with his creation. And there is no love if there is no choice. You can think about that for a while. I hope you do. There really isn't love. It's, it's words like this. Early on, God's you know, telling the people of Israel and us, this is who I am. These Old Testament are so important sometimes. He says this. Moses has sat down and explained, God wants you to do this. He doesn't want you to do this. This is how life is supposed to go. This is how I created it, designed it. He says this. This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you. Heavens, earth, I'm telling you. We've shared this. God's seen it. He's revealed it. Now it's on you. I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose what? Life. Choose. Choose. Really, frankly, you cannot understand the scriptures outside of this realization that God is calling us to a cooperating relationship with him. If there is no choice on our part, if the sovereignty of God is so far-reaching that it, 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 it determines everything that is ever done, then the scriptures are a sham. They're deceiving. They're deceptive. When he says things like this, now you choose. You can't read the New Testament without understanding that he says things like, if you do this, this will happen. This is the way to life. Do this. If you love me, follow my commit. Choose my commit, right? It's all built on the premise of God in his sovereignty. Are you listening to me? In his sovereignty chose this plan. It's his plan. It's his rules. It's his game. It's his whole deal. I don't want to say game because then we feel like we're just pawns. But right? It's his deal. Absolutely. I didn't make the rules. I don't get to choose the rules. I don't get to choose the consequences. I don't get to choose. But the only thing I do get to choose is to follow him or reject him. Because in that, his giving me the choice. I didn't take the choice. I didn't decide that I want the choice. He gave it to me. Some of us would wish we didn't have the choice, right? Like, wow, huh. I just wish you'd have said, I'm in. Maybe they're out. Right? In this choice creates this potential, this love relationship. And that's why the sovereign in control God decided, you know what? The way I am going to set up this world is to create the potential for the greatest thing I want to experience from this world. And that's to have a relationship where I chose you and you chose me. That's what makes my marriage love. You stood on that platform that day and you said words like this, and forsaking all others, only unto you will I live. That's what makes love. Two people in this Eight billion person world, Nicole and Chip choose each other, exclusive of anybody else, and in that choice, a love relationship is developed. I hope so. Right? It's the basis for love, is choice. And freedom of human choice. Freedom to choose is a part of God's sovereign plan. He chose this plan. It's his deal. He's still in control. And in fact, he wanted to be 
opportunity for a love relationship. I love what Thomas Oden says, my favorite theologian. He says that God definitely has foreordained from the foundations what will happen to those who follow him and those who do not follow him. But God has not predetermined individuals one way or the other. He set up the rules. He set up the way it's going to go. This is what happens if you do. This is what happens if you I've got it all in. It's my deal. But I will not violate the dignity of human will because I want love. And so I will let you choose me or reject me. Now you're playing by my rules, but you have the choice in that matter. But he says this, and this is what I love, and this is what I want you to get from me today. But God, he doesn't just say, okay, choose life or death, and I'm going to take a back seat. God then still works in powerful, sovereign ways in our world, affecting things, commanding positively things, negating or or negatively requiring something not to be enacted. He teaches and advises and what, he, what he's basically saying is just because God has not fatalistically predetermined the fate of each individual does not mean that God is not sovereignly active in his creation. Nor does our choice detract from God's providence and sovereignty over his creation. Nor does our choice mean that God has not already determined what will happen corporately to those who follow him and those who don't. Now, How many of you are saying, you just need to put on the brakes? What I'm saying is God has given us will, free will, but then God sovereignly acts in this world, bringing about his plans, his purposes. And God sovereignly moves in the hearts. Think about Pharaoh, right? What does it say God did to Pharaoh's heart? He hardened it, right? I need my people to leave Egypt. I need them to get to the land. I'm going to harden this guy's heart. I'm going to move on his life and make him make a decision that benefits my plan. But you know what? That had nothing to do with Pharaoh's personal salvation. Pharaoh himself could have realized after that 10th plague and God sent him like, whoa, this is the God of all gods. I'm going to bow down and worship him. God would have absolutely accepted him. Think about Judas. Judas to me is one of those just, oh. Because the scriptures say that God worked into the heart of Judas to betray him. I need to be betrayed to go to the cross. Judas? Like, man, that stinks for Judas. But again, what he caused Judas to do was according to his plan. I have never met anybody who wouldn't say that Judas, after he betrayed the Lord, who I mean, realized what he had done, couldn't have like, cried out for forgiveness, and Jesus would have forgiven him. Would he have not have? Judas could have been in heaven. No problems. And even betrayed the Lord. Peter denied the Lord. In essence, did all, basically the same thing. And he found forgiveness and love because he made a different choice. See, God sovereignly is working all the time in our world. He's active in our creation while never violating our choice to move toward him or from him. He even, the scriptures say, he'll move nations and rulers. He'll even move in your boss's life. He'll make him think something different. 
to bring about his plans. Yet all the while, not violating at the heart of who we are as the ability to say yes, God, or no, God. So what do we do with this? How do I respond to God's sovereignty? Because I believe that as children of God, today I'm talking to you if you're a Christian, that the sovereign God in control of all of these things has made unbelievable promises to you and I as his children. And what he says when he reveals himself to be sovereign, he reminds us that there is nothing that can stand in the way of his plans and purposes for our life. It is absolutely true that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. It is absolutely true, John says, that no man can pluck you from the hand of Christ if you're his. And the sovereign God in control of everything has you. And in his hand, you can believe and know that his promises are unstoppable in your life. That's what it means to live as a child of the sovereign God. (laughs) And it also means that what he has promised for us going forward, it's going to happen. There is nothing that's going to stop him from returning again. There is nothing going to stop him from establishing an everlasting kingdom. There is nothing that's going to stop a new heaven and a new earth. Our eternity is completely secure in his promises as his children. Amen? He's sovereign. His plan, his way. Nobody's going to say, don't think so. I'm going to stop that plan of God. It's not going to happen. So that it's true, I'm not going to bring it up, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So how do I live as a Christian? Sovereign God, fallen, broken world. I think we live this way. Let me find it. I want to bow before the king of the universe. And in bowing before him, I have absolute surrender of all that I am and all that I have. I mean, he's the sovereign God. All of us are going to bow at some point. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God gives us the opportunity in his graciousness to bow now in a relationship with him instead of being coerced by his powerful, his powerful power, whatever, His power later. He's in control. It's his world. Everybody's going to bow to him. He calls us to bow now. And in that bowing, I just realized I can let go and surrender that God's plan and purpose for my life as I walk with him, it's unstoppable. And in fact, I just need to get I need to get with the program here and realize he knows best what's for my life. I just need to start trusting him and surrendering my life to him and these areas of my life and this part and this part. And you know what? Say, you know what? You're the sovereign Lord. Your plan can't be stopped. I just need to figure out how to stay in your will, in your plan. Just let you lead my life because it's unstoppable. An absolute surrender. The second thing is this. Believe that all that comes into your life is either allowed or decreed by a good God who will use it for your benefit. That's what Romans 8, 28 says and so many other verses that God uses everything for our good and by virtue of that for his glory. 
And so if I believe that the sovereign God cannot be stopped, his plan cannot be stopped in my life as his child, I can begin to move to a point where I I believe that, then I trust that, and that trust causes me to start backing off of anxiety, worries, and fears. I'm in his hand. He's bigger than anything. He's all-powerful. His will cannot be stopped in my life. I just need to chill out. You know, sometimes this world doesn't go the way we think it will go, and even his plan for our life sometimes takes detours from what we thought it should. And there is heartbreak, there is setback, there is loss, and even sometimes we don't get to finish this race in the time we thought we were going through this life. But I will promise you that we are much bigger than just this temporary life. We are eternal beings. And why I can rest and not worry is the fact that in Christ, my eternity is secure. And that if my life is shortened here or there's setbacks in this life now, guess what? A hundred years from now, will it really matter if I was in Christ? No. We're going to look back a hundred years from now unless some of you are planning on living to I'm not planning on living to be 140. When I look back 100 years from now, I'm going to say, you know what? I didn't need to really, this is, this is it. Right? Because he's in control and his plan cannot be stopped. And as his child, I have this hope and this future. And nothing can stop that. And so I absolutely begin to refuse to worry. That's why God tells us to not worry. He's got it. He's in control. The third thing is this. Worship God for who he is, not merely what he's done. When I begin to in awe, behold in awe the mystery and majesty of his kind, compassionate, just, and sovereign rule is all that is and all that will ever be. It should just cause me every day to just worship him. God, the scriptures say that you hold this world together that you are in control of everything. And I just worship you for that. You are a majestic, powerful, kind, compassionate, wonderful Father. And I'm just going to worship you because of your power. Amen? And so this, this morning, I just invite you to allow your life to be lived out in the understanding of who a sovereign God is. Not only a good God, but a sovereign God. And as his child, I can live to surrender to him because he knows best. I can live without worry and I can live full of worship and wonder because God is going to work out his plan and his will for my life. I can actually live with expectation. And we begin to see it that way. God's sovereign. What does that mean? Well, that means everything for his child. There's nothing this world can do to touch me in a way that takes me or separates me from God. I'm his. And everything that I'm looking forward to is secure in him. And so I'm going to refuse to worry today. 
or for most of us, it's like I'm going to worry less until I can get to a point where maybe I can worry none. God, help me, right? But I'm just going to start refusing to worry. It's not on me. It's on him. It's his child. He's going to trust, rest, follow him. I'm going to worship him all the while. So I invite you to stand. Let's sing this as we go. Would you sing this in faith? Would you sing it as a way to commit to, to just living, worshiping the sovereign Lord who is in control of all? Stand. 
Father, as your children, we go from this place resting and trusting, worshiping the sovereign Lord who is in control, who is all-powerful, and as his children, Father, the promises of God cannot be stopped in our life. So we ask you to help us to see this part of you, to see with 2020 vision that in your hands we can surrender, we can trust you, we can refuse to worry about our lives, and we can live without fear and anxiety because you are going to accomplish your purpose and your plan for our life. We worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen.